Let's open the Word of God this morning to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 before we turn to John 18. Thank you, Eric, for reminding us about the importance of praise and its 13 occurrences in Psalm 150 and how we ought to be doing it passionately and creatively. Living on this side of the cross, though David saw some of the things we see by prophecy, we have so much more to praise the Lord for with the details of David's own son and our Lord and Savior and a king of the kingdom that we're part of. Thank you, Brother Leon, for your prayer. The reason I want us to turn to 1 Timothy 6 to start is to remind you of a verse that I used two weeks ago because Paul, by the Holy Spirit, felt it important enough to tell his ministerial understudy and ministerial son Timothy this word about John 18. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 13. I give thee charge. This is how Paul exhorted and motivated Timothy to be a great minister. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, and so forth and so on. How did Paul get Timothy's attention and how did Paul motivate Timothy to be a great minister? By calling on God who quickeneth all things. All life and breath should praise the Lord because all life and breath is from God. Amen. He breathed into the dust of the earth and man became a living soul. But then the appeal is made to Christ Jesus. And it doesn't say Christ Jesus who died on the cross. Christ Jesus who rose from the dead. Christ Jesus who performed all kinds of miracles. Those things are said in many other places. But here it says, Christ Jesus who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. So we are told 40 years later, 30 years later, 35 years later, after the crucifixion and trial of Jesus, that we ought to pay attention to what Jesus said and did before Pontius Pilate. Let's now turn to John 18. John chapter 18. For those of you that are listening to this sermon later, if you have not listened to the introduction to this service, you should read Isaiah chapter 53, verses 6 through 8, slowly and carefully and realize that those verses given 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ were fulfilled in John 18, 19, and 20. John chapter 18. Do you see it's 40 verses in front of you? Do you have a little bit of an idea on how they're broken up? I try to provide an outline just because smaller bites are easier to digest and to remember and to fit together than the great big picture of the whole chapter of 40 verses. The first 11 verses describe his arrest in Gethsemane. That's where Judas betrayed him. Jesus confronted the mob. Jesus delivered his apostles from the mob. And Peter cut off the right ear of Melchus. First 11 verses. His arrest in Gethsemane. That was two weeks ago. One week ago was the middle section, which is verses 12 through 27. That's the trial before the Jews, Jesus is bound in Gethsemane and led first to Annas, who had been the high priest and was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Caiaphas did him a favor by letting him see his prized prisoner, but he wasn't there long, and Annas sent him bound, as verse 24 in John 18 tells us, to Caiaphas. And so his trial continued there before Caiaphas Peter denies the Lord Jesus Christ three times. Jesus is mistreated. He's slapped on the face. And the other Gospels tell us things far worse than that by the Jews before he's ever taken to Pilate. By the time he's taken to Pilate, which is the third section, starting at verse 28, 
His face is already bleeding and swollen because he's been blindfolded, punched, beat, slapped in his face by the Jews before he ever gets to Pilate. There are five quick trials. Annas, Caiaphas, Pilate, Herod, Pilate. That's the order. John tells us more of the exchange between Pilate and Jesus than the other Gospels do. Though the other Gospels do tell us some of the other details that John leaves out. And that's why we read all four when we want to understand everything that happened to the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll make mention of those other Gospel accounts as we have need. But this third section of John 18 is the trial by Pilate. And it's the first trial by Pilate. Because then he goes to Herod, then he comes back to Pilate before his crucifixion. And the Jews are going to choose Barabbas, a murderer and a robber, over the Lord Jesus Christ. John 18 at verse 28, and let's read through verse 32. Betrayed into the hands of the Gentiles. This was a huge event for the Jews to do this to one of their own country. John chapter 18, verse 28. <coughs> then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Amen and amen. This is the trial of Jesus before Pilate, and this is his betrayal into the hands of the Gentiles. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. They bound him in Gethsemane. They led him to Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas' father-in-law. Then they led him to Caiaphas. He's been abused through the night by the Jews, and now he's brought early in the morning, 5, 6 a.m., maybe got Pilate out of bed to deal with this prisoner of theirs. The reason for the haste is because they had to get two things accomplished. Jesus killed before there would be an uprising of the common people that regarded him of being at least a prophet. And to get the Romans to do it so that they would be held blameless by the people. If they could get it off to the Romans and get the Romans to do it, then they could be innocent before the people of this great transgression, or so they thought. And so they're pushing it all night long. He was taken from prison. He, there was a prisoner there. Why weren't they having a trial of Barabbas that night? They already had a prisoner there. They already had people that could testify he had been guilty of an insurrection and murder and was a robber and known for it. Why wasn't he dealt with? Because this is a rush to judgment. And I don't mean a judgment of trial, but a judgment of execution by the Jews. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. Though it's not clear here, by reading the gospel accounts, and I want to minimize how much we flip back and forth so that you don't lose the beauty of John 18. It's written this way for a reason. And so we want to stay here when we can. But it's not clear here that Caiaphas and his council had already condemned Jesus of blasphemy. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all say that Jesus wouldn't answer them. They slapped him. They buffeted him. Finally, Caiaphas swore him to tell them whether he was the Christ or not. And he said, you bet I am. And you're going to see me coming in the clouds of heaven in power and great glory. Remember from last week? Yes. We saw that from last week. And Caiaphas said, what else do we need to hear? 
He's just condemned himself out of his own mouth. He's guilty of blasphemy for claiming to be the Son of God. Is that sufficient? And he looks around, they all said he's worthy of death. So they've come to quick terms that Jesus is a blasphemer because he said he was the Christ and the Son of God and that he was worthy of death. But now that was a Jewish ruling. Rome didn't care about their, doc, their ideas of blasphemy. So they've brought him to Pilate and they're going to have to push him through the Roman process to get him crucified as soon as possible. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, the judgment hall, part of Pilate's palace in Jerusalem. Pilate wasn't always stationed in Jerusalem. He was also stationed in Caesarea, which was the seat of the Roman government for that part of the country under a tetrarchy. There were four appointed governors or kings. They didn't care what title they had because all they had was one quarter of the little area of Palestine. And they're called tetrarchs. Whenever you find that word tetrarch in your New Testament, it means one of four. There was a, in Luke chapter 3, goes through the list of the territories. He was a tetrarch over this little section of Judea or Palestine, and then this one and so forth. But Pilate has a palace here, and in the palace is a hall of judgment. There's a porch in it that we've already read about where Peter went outside. He was there with the fire warming himself, but he was close enough where Jesus could look at him when he was on trial. Right. And so here we are in the hall of judgment. The other accounts tell us this clearly. Blasphemy was a capital crime. And we can read that in the Old Testament if we were to turn to the Old Testament. And after the other accounts tell us about Peter denying the Lord Jesus Christ three times, which we've already had here as well, they all say that they led him to Pilate. Because now it's the next step in the process. They've condemned him. Caiaphas has his father-in-law in agreement. Caiaphas has the chief priests. The Pharisees and the rulers of the Jews in agreement, they're all settled. He's worthy of death. Let's get the Romans to execute it for us. These words, opening up verse 28, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, contain more than meets the eye. And that is the betrayal by the Jews of a Jew to invaders. This is high treason. This is a terrible betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ. It describes the Jews' cruel betrayal of Jesus from their protection to Gentiles. Remember, it was the, the chief priests and the Pharisees that put together a band of men that took Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't Romans. It was the Jews. But now those Jews and that high priest Caiaphas and that former high priest, Annas, who should have defended Jesus with their lives, turned him over to the invading power of a usurping, pagan, foreign, tyrannical empire that had possessed Palestine and had taken occupation of the land of Israel. These Gentiles were not friends. They were foreign, harsh, pagan, taxing invaders. But the Jews turned Jesus over to them. Let me show you again how important this was. Go back to Matthew chapter 20 and let me read you some verses there again that I read to you last Lord's Day so that you can grasp this betrayal by Caiaphas of Jesus to the Romans. We usually think of Judas's betrayal of Jesus to the Jews. But Jesus counts one higher than that. Matthew 20 and verse 18, Jesus told his 12 apostles, verse 18, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. We just went over all that verse. Just went over it. That's before Caiaphas. He said he's the Son of God. He says he's the Messiah. He says he's the Christ. He's guilty of death. All fulfilled already. And, verse 19, shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. 
So the true, the great mocking, the fullest mocking, and the scourging, which was a Roman punishment, and the crucifixion was something accomplished by the Romans because the Jews gave him over to the Romans. The Jews didn't crucify. The Jews didn't scourge. Those were Roman punishments. But it was the Jews that turned him over to the Romans. And the third day he shall rise again. So when you come back to John 18, and we look ahead to John chapter 19, let me show you again what Jesus said about ranking those that had brought him before Pilate. John chapter 19, verse 11. Jesus answered to Pilate, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Because in verse 10, Pilate had tried to tell Jesus, Don't you know that I have power of life and death over you? And Jesus basically said, You don't really have power of life and death over me. The power that you do have was given to you, and I'm here by allowing myself to be here, and I was brought here by a party guiltier than you are. Therefore, the last part of verse 11, Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Judas didn't deliver Jesus to Pilate. Caiaphas delivered Jesus to Pilate. Caiaphas was the ruling authority of Israel. Caiaphas should have been willing to lay down his life for Jesus of Nazareth against the Romans for Jesus. But instead, they gave him over to them to scourge him, to mock him, and to crucify him. Jesus had told us, if we read all the gospel accounts in Luke chapter 13, that Pilate had mingled the blood of Jews with their sacrifices. Do you remember that event in Luke 13? The Jews came to Jesus and said, What do you think about those men that were killed while they were offering their sacrifices when Pilate mingled their blood with the blood of their own sacrifices? They must have really been wicked men. And Jesus taught us not to reason that way. But when we look at calamities like that, we're supposed to reason this way. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Jesus didn't have a morning service for them. Jesus didn't have brochures printed about them. Jesus just said, if you don't repent, you'll all perish just like that. And lo and behold, they all perished just like that. And so that's a reminder of what the Romans were like in their treatment of the Jews. And yet here we have the Jews, instead of whining or complaining about Pilate mingling the blood of some Jews with their sacrifices, they're turning Jesus over to those very Romans. Judas betrayed Jesus to Caiaphas, but Caiaphas betrayed Jesus to Rome, and Caiaphas is John 19.11. As the high priest, he should have protected him. As the high priest, he should have known the law of God or had the resources at his disposal to know God's law of protection for Jesus more than anyone. And so I want you to understand, as we look at John 18, 28, then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. The hall of judgment is Roman property. Caiaphas was Jewish property. The house of the high priest, the palace of the high priest. But Jesus is being led from one jurisdiction to the other, and he shouldn't have been. It's a terrible crime here of betrayal. Now, if we read the other gospel accounts, especially Matthew, chapter 27, verses 3 through 10, it's right at this point that Judas realizes his error, that Jesus is condemned to die. And so in Matthew chapter 27, we're told about Judas. We're not told about Judas here in John. Let me quickly run through what we're told about Judas. Judas saw that his sin was hateful. Let me, re- let me show you a verse in the Bible about this. Look at Psalm 36. Everyone's sin looks okay while you're enjoying its pleasure for a season. And you're thinking that you're going to get away with it. Whenever I ask you to turn, I hope you'll keep your place at John chapter 18. Psalm 36, verse 1. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. 
when you see someone disobey God, it tells you something about them. They don't fear God. Because if they feared God, they wouldn't disobey God. Verse 2. For he flattereth himself. Now to flatter, your, to flatter another person is bad enough. But to flatter yourself is to tell yourself that you're going to get away with the crime. That you can actually enjoy this crime and get away with it. That's a wicked man. And it says he doesn't have any fear of God. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The Bible tells us that sin has a pleasure for, has pleasure for a season. But then that season quickly ends and you can find out that sin you thought to be pleasant becomes very hateful because it's exposed for what it does to you and the guilt that it brings between you and God. It's a, it's a beautiful verse. Judas flattered himself in his own eyes that he could make an extra 30 pieces of silver that Jesus could escape the Jews, escape the Romans whenever he wanted to, like he had done so many times before, and it wouldn't be all that bad of a crime. Until his iniquity be found to be hateful. Matthew 27 tells us that when he saw that he was condemned to death, when the entire assembly of the Jewish leadership said, he is worthy of death. Uh-oh. This didn't turn out the way I had fantasized it in my devil-possessed little mind. So he, went, he got the 30 pieces of silver and he cast them to the chief priests and the Pharisees, the ones that had hired him for 30 pieces of silver. And the Bible tells us he threw it to them and he said, I have betrayed the blood of an innocent man. And they said, go see that yourself. Let me go through just a few facts about Judas Iscariot. Being a thief, he must have thought he could make an easy extra 30 pieces of silver by betraying the Lord Jesus Christ to the Jews. He thought, apparently, that Jesus could easily escape. Jesus had easily escaped before. But his crime turned out to be hateful. He repented, but it did him no good. The Bible tells us he repented. He repented for doing this to Jesus of Nazareth. And he cast his money down. But there is repentance that is too late. This is one case. Judas Iscariot. His repentance meant nothing to God. Psalm 109 tells us exactly how the condemnation of God would rest upon him and his family, his father and his children forever. It was also true of the nation of Israel when they wouldn't take the land of Canaan when they should have. They repented. And they said, we have sinned against the Lord. We're going to go up and take the land of Canaan. Moses said, I'm not going to go with you, and you shouldn't go. You're just adding to your sins since he's told you to turn back into this wilderness. So they got whipped when they went up there to try to take the land. Esau repented with bitter crying about having given up his birthright. But it did no good, as Hebrews chapter 12 tells us. And so here we have a case with Judas Iscariot. Only one gospel in Acts chapter 1 records Judas' grief, Judas's grief and his end of hanging. He returned the 30 pieces of silver in great grief, but those former friends now mocked him. Those former friends that were so eager to make a compact with him now mocked him and made fun of him. Right. Well, you see to that. If you think you've betrayed innocent blood, if your conscience is condemning you now, we couldn't care less. What kind of friends are those? Those are friends that you entered into to commit something that was wrong. And it doesn't have to be as bad as betraying the Lord Jesus Christ to Jews. But any friend that helps you do something against God, against God's word, they're worthless. They're worse than worthless. They'll never be there for you when you need them. Because they have no conscience about sin. And Judas discovered that with the chief priests and the Pharisees. He saw Jesus now as the innocent blood. He knew he had sinned against him. He went out and hung himself, but he didn't even do that very well because he dashed his bowels across the potter's field. The Bible tells us that he went headlong. Now every hanging that you've ever seen was not headlong, it was feet long. It was head last. It wasn't head first 
it was head last. Because it went feet first. And just snapped your neck. But when you dive off a high dive, and you've tied a rope around your neck to hang yourself, then when you hit the end of that rope, your body's going to do a snap. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us any more details, except he hung himself, and he dashed his bowels across the field, and he went head first. So if you can imagine a body going down head first, and then it being arrested, it could snap the bowels out. Or the rope was too long, and he hit the rocks at the bottom, and he dashed his bowels out. We don't care. We just know that his bowels got dashed out, and that was fitting judgment at his own hands for what he had done to the Lord Jesus Christ. The chief priests used the 30 pieces of silver to buy the field to bury strangers in it. And therefore, several prophecies were fulfilled. Now I need to show you one. Look at Matthew chapter... No, let's go to Zechariah chapter 11 at the end of your Old Testaments. This is, this is somewhat of a rabbit trail, but Judas Iscariot does his dastardly deed and then kills himself for it. And Matthew gives us the details. And Luke in Acts chapter 1 gives us a few. The book of Zechariah chapter 11. Verse 11. And it was broken in that day. And so the poor of the flock that waited upon me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was priced at of them. And I took the thirty pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. That's a prophecy. Right there, four hundred years before it happened, of the money being thrown into the house of the Lord and being given to the potter to buy the potter's field to bury Judas who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now when you come over to Matthew, it says, as it was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. And when you read the book of Jeremiah frontwards, and then you read it backwards, and then you limit your computer search engine to search the book of Jeremiah, you can't find any reference to it. But it doesn't say it was written in the book of Jeremiah. It says, as it was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. Because it was written down by Zechariah, right here. You say, well, that sounds still like a contradiction in the Bible. No, it says spoken by Jeremiah, written down by Zechariah. And do you want to know what we know about Zechariah? And I find all of this most amusing and interesting. Look at chapter 1 and verse 4 for you to appreciate the role of Zechariah. Zechariah 1.4, and I'll give you one of three references that say the same thing in the book of Zechariah. Be ye not as your fathers, Zechariah 1.4, unto whom the former prophets have cried, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye now from your evil ways and from your evil doings, but they did not hear, nor hearken unto me, saith the Lord. Unto whom the former prophets have cried, See, Jeremiah said it, Zechariah wrote it down, because Zechariah wrote down what the former prophets said. Jeremiah came long before Zechariah. Zechariah, Malachi, and Haggai are the three last prophets of the Old Testament. Anyway, that's one fulfillment for you when you're reading about Judas Iscariot, as it was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, written down by Zechariah the prophet, who wrote down what the former prophets said. Perfect. Your Bible's still perfect. Acts chapter 1 says that Judas bought the field. The potter's field. Did Judas buy the potter's field? If the Bible says Judas bought the potter's field, then Judas bought the potter's field. If Matthew 27 tells us that the Jews bought the potter's field, then the Jews bought the potter's field. Can they both be true? Yes. It was Judas's 30 pieces of silver that the Jews took to buy the potter's field. Why didn't the Jews want to put the money in the treasury? Because it was blood money. Oh, they would never do something like that. 
Is that incredible to you? It's not the last time we're going to run into it today. They wouldn't put the 30 pieces of silver back in the treasury because it was blood money. It had ended up in the death of Jesus Christ. But they paid the 30 pieces of silver out of the treasury to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. Their hypocrisy and the devilish duplicity of their hearts and minds is hard to imagine. But if you play with sin long enough, you will be that hypocritical yourself. You will pick those sins, those things that you are not going to do. And you will pick the ones that you are going to do. And you'll justify yourself by these little things that you do to compensate for the things that you don't do when the whole Bible tells us that transaction is utterly impossible. The sins that you're doing ruin every good thing that you do. There isn't one thing left of any value to God when you allow any sin in your life. That's Haggai chapter 2. There's another solution we need. Well, we've already covered it. Judas hung himself, but he fell head first and he burst. So either he burst by the way he hung himself or he burst by hitting bottom. He didn't measure his rope quite right. We don't care. We just like the way he ended. If you don't like the way he ended, why do you hate Jesus Christ so much? That took place right there at this juncture, so I wanted to stick it in. Let's talk. The Hall of Judgment was part of the governor's palace where Pilate settled legal issues. Now look what it tells us here. It's going to tell us some crazy things. When the Jews delivered Jesus to Pilate's civil jurisdiction, you know he was already messed up. They had already pummeled his face, blindfolded him, and so forth, as the other Gospels tell us. But they're going to accuse him of a civil crime now to get the Romans to put him to death. Pilate certainly had some faults. This is all in the first clause of verse 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. In the hall of judgment, we're to understand Romans, Gentiles, Pilate. All that's to be understood because the other Gospels tell it to us in those words. Here, we don't read about Pilate quite yet. We just have this opening clause, and I want us to fully appreciate the Jews' betrayal of Jesus over to the Romans. Pilate certainly had some obvious faults, but he did try for several reasons to free Jesus. If you read Luke 23, he tried three times by coming out and telling the Jews, I find in him no fault at all. Remember? I find in him no fault at all. And he said it several times. And then once he had sent him to Herod, and Herod could find no fault in him, he said, neither Herod nor I could find any fault in him. Pilate wanted to save Jesus Christ. Look at Acts chapter 3 and what was preached just 50 days later to the Jews by Peter. Acts chapter 3. Peter, I mean, Pilate had his weaknesses. Pilate had his faults. But Pilate wanted to free Jesus. He used several means at his disposal to try to free Jesus. Acts 3, 13. The God of Abraham, this is Peter preaching, declaring the truth of God. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. The God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up. How did they deliver him up? He's not speaking to Judas. He's speaking to the Jews. Right. Ye delivered him up to the invaders, to the Romans, to the Gentiles, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when they should have claimed him, but denied him when he was determined to let him go. The Bible wants us to know, Peter under inspiration says, Pilate was determined to let Jesus go. And so we see the three times, and Luke actually tells us, and he went out the third time to tell the Jews that he could find no fault in Jesus, and he added Herod's own assessment for a fourth evidence. Pilate, we're told, marveled greatly that Jesus did not respond to the slander. He did not despise Jesus. He marveled. 
that Jesus handled the slander of the Jews so well. He tried to release Barabbas, a seditious murderer, instead of Jesus. Were Romans fond of those guilty of an insurrection? Think with me. Were Romans fond of someone guilty of sedition? But he, he freed up Barabbas. He offered Barabbas, thinking they would take Jesus. He brought Jesus up against Barabbas, and the Jews chose Barabbas. Pilate was hoping they would choose to have Jesus released. He knew, the Bible tells us, that the Jews had delivered Jesus to him out of envy. That it was petty envy for Jesus' success among the people. His wife's testimony of a dream and warning about Jesus affected him in Matthew 27, where it's placed. He feared the possibility that Jesus might actually be, in some way he didn't understand, the Son of God. When he heard the charge that he says he's the Son of God, it caused Pilate to fear. The Bible tells us that. He would know what the Son of God was, but just the combination of terms was enough to get his attention. He tried to release Jesus after hearing about authority and Caiaphas. When Jesus told Pilate, you have no authority over me except what was given you from heaven. And this could be the Son of God. And the one that's really guilty here is Caiaphas, who has betrayed a countryman of his own. To me, it tells us that from that moment, Pilate tried to release Jesus again. He washed his hands and said he was free from Christ's innocent blood. While he was doing that, saying, I am free from the blood of this just person, what were they saying? Let his blood be on us and on our children. There is a huge difference between Pilate and the Jews. Though Pilate was weak and though Pilate had faults, he was determined to let Jesus go. He signed Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, in Latin, in Greek, and in Hebrew. For everyone in Jerusalem to be able to understand and smacked it on the top of that cross. The Jews came to him and said, change that. They had got their way all night. Change that. He said he was the king of the Jews. What I have written, I have written. Now we hear a Roman talking. What I have written, I have written. I want you to know this about Pilate. Pilate's not in heaven unless by some miraculous exercise of the grace of God. But he's not in the same category as Judas. He's not in the same category as the Jews. He was determined to let him go, but for political expediency and nearly political emergency, he turned him over to crucifixion because the Jews demanded it and said, if you don't, then you're not a friend of Caesar. Pilate at the most had 3,000 soldiers. The Jews could have overthrown Pilate easily, and every empire, that has, a far-flung empire knows that, that they have to guard themselves carefully and manage wisely, or they can be overthrown. And so he, he gives in to the Jews. But anyway, I hope that you appreciate Acts chapter 3 and what it tells us. Let's get back to John 18 and verse 28. If we keep up at this pace, we'll get halfway through the verse before break time. John 18, 28. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas under the hall of judgment. I want you to understand everything that is contained in those words and what some of the other gospel accounts tell us was happening at that time. So now we've, been, we've, we've read the end of Judas. We've been introduced to Pilate and so forth. We get to move on in verse 28. And it was early. 5 or 6 a.m. in the morning. They'd been pressing this all night long. It wasn't late. It was early. The day was dawning. The cock had crowed, remember? When we go look at the accounts and see the timeline there. It was early. They may have gotten Pilate out of bed. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall. They led Jesus from Caiaphas to the judgment hall and pushed him in there into the Roman soldiers that would have been there. You take him now. He's your criminal now. 
We've already condemned him. He's yours. But they would not go into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Unbelievable hypocrisy by these Jews. They wouldn't go into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, because they couldn't go into a house owned by Gentiles. Remember what Cornelius and Peter? When Peter goes into Cornelius' house, he tells Cornelius right off the bat, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. It's not lawful for a Jew to go into a house with, of Gentiles, but God hath showed me that what I may call common, sorry Cornelius, he's purged and cleansed because of that sheet that came down three times. What I've cleansed, call not thou common. And so we know that it was a serious matter, but look at the hypocrisy. They worry about defiling themselves by stepping on commercial tile that was laid down by a Gentile, but they don't care about the fact that they're killing an innocent man who by all evidence is the Messiah of Israel. (coughs) You and I are capable of that double dealing and duplicity if God does not have grace upon us and if you do not confess your sins, you will see evil and black in everything good and you will see light and pleasure in everything bad. It's the way sin works. David, when, when Nathan came to David and said, and told him a little story about the little ewe lamb, he wanted that man killed. And the lamb restored fourfold. For a stupid lamb? David, where are you getting your sense of judgment? I'm getting it from the devil. Because he was in sin. We want to be taught good judgment. And the only way we can hold on to good judgment is to hold on to righteousness and confess all our sins. We will be as duplicitous and as hypocritical as these Jews if God does not have grace on us and if we do not pursue righteousness and confess our sins. They wouldn't go into the judgment hall lest they be defiled. Remember, once upon a time, Jesus played this game just briefly with a woman of Canaan. When he said it is not fit to give the children's bread to dogs. Referring to Gentiles. But we know how that story ended up because Jesus was just testing her faith. And he said he hadn't found so great a faith in all of Israel. That woman just kept right on bugging him and his apostles because she wanted her daughter healed. Peter knew it was wrong and he explained it as I've just related to you. Acts chapter 11 Peter's going to have to defend himself to the Jews in Jerusalem for entering the house of a Gentile. The hypocrisy. Jesus condemned such hypocrisy of these Jews. They would pay tithes off their herb garden while overlooking the weightier matters of the law. Judgment. What kind of judgment? Right here. He was taken from judgment. He was taken from due process. He was taken from fair, equitable treatment. They overlooked judgment, mercy, and faith to make sure they tithed their herb gardens. Matthew 23 and verse 23. Jesus had condemned them for straining at a gnat, yet swallowing a camel. Their drinking water. They would strain it with a net fine enough to catch a gnat, but then they'd swallow a camel. It's just beautiful terminology. They're working on... Listen, you can swallow a gnat and it's not going to hurt you one bit. Swallow two of them at the same time. A gnat's not going to hurt you, but a camel might cause you to choke. And the Lord Jesus Christ went after them for their hypocrisy. We need to hate the corrupt thinking of valuing ceremonial matters over moral matters. Do you understand that? The Roman Catholics are great about it, making up all these rules, just like the Jews, that as long as we wash our pots and cups, who cares if you wash them? Cook your food at high enough temperature that you don't have to wash. It doesn't matter. Jesus mocked them for that. You're worrying about my disciples and me washing our hands, and yet you will not honor your father and mother by giving them what the father and mother deserve from you. That's Matthew chapter 15. Jesus saw through that. We never want our church to be that way. 
We do it when we think doctrinal knowledge has any redeeming value of its own. Doctrinal knowledge does not have redeeming value of its own. It's a burden and a curse when we know doctrine and sin against the rules of the New Testament and the rules of the gospel. We do it when we think attendance at services has any redeeming value of its own. It does not. We do it when we accept any religious activity as enough to replace loving service to Christ and His. We can't be like these Jews. We want good judgment. Teach me good judgment. For I have believed thy commandments. But that they might eat the Passover. The Passover. I thought Jesus had already eaten the Passover. Jesus had already eaten the Passover. If you're going to limit the word Passover to the Passover lamb. If you're going to limit the word Passover to the Passover lamb. Jesus had already eaten the Passover lamb. And these men had already eaten the Passover lamb. The word Passover applies to a seven-day feast. And don't get confused about that. If you want one issue of the harmony of the Gospels that can mess you up, along with Jewish time reckoning and Roman time reckoning, it is the word Passover. It's not just the meal the night before the feast begins. It's the whole seven-day feast. And the next day was a Sabbath. Remember, it was the evening first, then the day. We're working our way through the 14th day, and the 15th day is going to start at 6 p.m., and it's going to be a Sabbath, and it's going to be a high Sabbath, and the Jews have got to get the bodies off the cross because a Sabbath is coming on, and it was a big feast day. I don't need to show you that, do I? I've been over that so many times. I'll show you one verse. There's so many, and it's in our website in a document called Acts 12.4. Because people will try to pick on the King James Bible for using the word Easter in Acts 12.4, which is an obvious reference to the Passover as a seven-day feast. That Herod was waiting for the seven days of Passover, otherwise known in European languages as Easter, so that he could kill Peter, whom he had put in prison till then. Look at Numbers. Numbers 28. Numbers 28, we want to understand the Word of God. We want to see the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see the venom, the rabid, devil-possessed hatred, malice, and cruelty that the Jews had toward Jesus of Nazareth, their Messiah. Then, when you see it clearly, 70 AD, and the worst tribulation in the history of the world is perfectly appropriate. Numbers 28, verse 16. And in the fourteenth day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. And in the fifteenth day of this month is the feast. Seven days shall unleavened bread be eaten. There was a feast coming. Now we've already run into this back there in John 13 when Judas got up from the table and Jesus said, What thou doest, go do quickly. The other apostles, not having a clue that Judas was a thief and a devil, they thought that he was going to go buy things in preparation for the feast because the feast was still coming. A little bit of lamb with some unleavened bread is not a feast. The feast was coming the next day when they had a big celebration and it was going to continue for seven days. Sometimes the whole thing's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Sometimes the whole thing is called the Passover. The Passover doesn't, is not limited to just the lamb being eaten the night before the whole thing gets rolling. Anyway, that's what verse 28. Verse 28 is full of information which is found elsewhere in the gospel accounts. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. That's the betrayal of Jesus from Jews to Gentiles. And it was early. We're early in the morning. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, these scrupulous Jews lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. They cared all about the ceremonial laws. And we can end up there. I've seen it before. I don't care one bit that a person believes in election or predestination. That isn't proof of anything. The devil believes in election and predestination. We need to see so much more than that. We need to see a life filled with love. Life filled with joy. A life filled with peace. 
a life filled with mercy toward others, a life filled with forgiveness, a life filled with compassion, a life of sacrifice for Jesus Christ and his people. That is the measure of the New Testament. It is so dangerous to think a person is elect because they believe in election. Believing in election is no evidence of election. Brotherly kindness and charity is an evidence of election. The work of faith, the labor of love, the patience of hope is the evidence of election. Or we end up just like these overly scrupulous Jews not wanting to defile themselves with the commercial tile of the Gentiles, but would kill the Lord Jesus Christ and slander him, slander him terribly to Pilate. Pilate then went out unto them. What does that mean? Pilate then went out unto them because they wouldn't come inside. He had to go out to them. Can you imagine what he was thinking inside? Now remember, he had to keep the peace and he may have only had 3,000 soldiers. That means he put up with it. But you know what he was saying in his private quarters about these Jews that wouldn't come in and stand on his floor, but they sure do want his legal services right now. <laughs> Unbelievable. Brethren, let's never be like this. Teach me good judgment. Yeah. It's Psalm 119, verse 66. It's been, it's been weighing on me for about five weeks now. And I thank the Lord for Psalm 119. Thank you, Jonah, for reminding us about Psalm 119. Pilate went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? Now see, we already know what accusation they have. Blasphemy. Capital crime. He deserves to die because he's guilty of blasphemy. And the other Gospels tell us what they're going to do. They're going to turn it to... They're going to slander him by saying he's guilty of turning the nation against Caesar. The other gospel accounts tell us John doesn't. John just wants to move right on in to the Pilate-Jesus exchange. So verse 29, what accusation bring ye against this man? I've got this man, Jesus of Nazareth, now in my judgment hall. I'm out here with you men. You've brought him in the middle of the night. You got me out of bed early. I haven't been to Panera yet. What do, you, what do you charge this man with? The other Gospels tell us they charged him with teaching against Caesar that they ought not to pay taxes to Caesar because he himself was Christ a king. They slandered him with sedition. This is a popular ruse to turn rulers because it's the rulers that have the sword. Even the Roman Catholic Church seldom put Christians to death itself. They made the civil arm do it that holds the sword. Because in history, all 6,000 years, God gave civil rulers the right of capital punishment. And so the Jews are following that same process. Turn them against Christians. Turn the government against Christians. It's wisdom and safety for us to obey for wrath and for conscience sake. We want to obey the civil laws of our nation for two reasons, according to Romans 13. For wrath, because they could get angry and cut your head off. For conscience, because God put those men there. God created the office. God created the men. God providentially put the men in the office. And God providentially stirs them up or stirs them down to whatever attitude they have at a given point in time, it's all of God. And so for two reasons we should submit so that like Daniel, we can never be caught sinning against our government. If we go to trial, let's go to trial for one reason, our religion, that we hold a Jesus Christ of Nazareth and the New Testament. Verse 30, they answered and said unto him, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. See, John gives us a little bit more that Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not give us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke just quickly jump to the slander that he's guilty of preaching against Caesar, and he's, he's turning all of Jewry upside down against the Roman government. But we get a little bit more from John right here, that there was a little game of cat and mouse played between the Jews and Pilate. What's he guilty of? 
Well, we wouldn't have brought him if he wasn't guilty of a capital crime. Don't you know that about our integrity? Look at, the, look at the assumption these arrogant monsters have about themselves. If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. It should be obvious that if we brought him, he's guilty. Instead of innocent until proven guilty, the Jews said, obviously guilty without proof. Are you with me? Yeah. Uh, what John sticks in for us to understand the way they're playing with their governor. Verse 31, Then said Pilate unto them, He knew. He knew that it was some issue of their law because they didn't have a crime or they would have said so. They didn't have witnesses. They didn't have evidence. There were no pictures, no smartphone, no hard drive. There was nothing. They didn't bring anything against Jesus of Nazareth. Pilate knew. And so Pilate says, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. If he's guilty of something that's a capital offense to you, idolatry, blasphemy, or being a false prophet, then you go ahead and put him to death. Oh, and they come back so humble, so humble to the Roman government. It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Were they thinking that in John 5 when they took up stones to stone Jesus, that it wasn't lawful for them to put any man to death? Were they thinking that in John 8 when they took up stones to stone Jesus? How about John 10 when they took up stones to stone Jesus? How about Acts 7 when they ran on Stephen and stoned him to death without the Roman government? They didn't care about the Roman government, but they needed the Roman government. For two reasons. One, because if the Roman government put to death someone they accused of slander, then Rome would appreciate the Jews and they would keep their place. John 11, the prophecy of Caiaphas. Number two, if the Romans did it, then the people couldn't accuse them of having put Jesus to death. The Romans did it. And so they're pushing and slandering the Lord Jesus Christ. Pilate knows they don't have a civil case. They only have a religious case. So he tells them, go ahead and take care of it. But for the reasons that they needed, they said, no, you've got to do it. And they are going to press it until he does it. Notice he's trying to deliver Jesus right off the bat. This is a religious crime that you're accusing him of. You take care of it. This is so beautiful. This is so beautiful. John 11, Caiaphas prophesies that one man must die for many. And that one man must die for many Jews. And that one man must die for many Gentiles speaking about the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ for you and for me. That was in John 11. Now right here, their choice of political expediency that we need to get Rome to do this for our advantage and Rome to do this for our protection from the common people was to fulfill Scripture because Jesus throughout this gospel had said the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's got to be lifted up. It's in this gospel. And so when you take John's statements together, it's all very beautiful. And thus we have verse 32, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. And so when it says signifying what death he should die, that's not when he declared that he would be crucified. He had declared he would be crucified in Matthew's account. Matthew 20, I've already read it to you this morning. Matthew 20, he declared that he would be crucified. And in Matthew 26, he declared that he would be crucified. But in John, he signified what death he would die, that he would have to be lifted up. But stoning didn't lift a man up. It put a man down where he was stoned to death. And so we get through the first section of the first little exchange between Jesus, Pilate, and the Jews. As we come through verse 32... The Bible tells us in the book of Acts chapter 2 and the book of Acts chapter 4 that every single detail of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was according to the determinate counsel of Almighty God. He had determined everything that was going to happen. And right here we have a crucial moment. Pilate doesn't want to crucify Jesus. Pilate wants the Jews to go ahead and put him to death if he is guilty of a capital religious crime. But if the Jews had put him to death, it would have been by stoning. And Jesus had to be lifted up. And Jesus had to be crucified 
First, John's prophecies, then Matthew's prophecies, and cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, Galatians 3.13 prophecy, it all had to be fulfilled, and that a bone of him could be broken, and stoning breaks bones. It's all beautiful. And there's one man standing in the middle of all this with a determinant God on one side and sinful wretches on the other side, you and me, and in the middle, these monsters abusing him, and he did not open his mouth. He didn't threaten. He didn't revile. He was like a lamb going to the slaughter for veal. My Jesus. Your Jesus. He witnessed a good confession before Pontius Pilate. And he's going to lead Pilate along, and Pilate is not going to take the bait for the truth of God. But we have, by the grace of God, we've taken that bait, and we've been shown the truth of God that Jesus came into this world to, really, to uh, reveal to men. This is our Lord Jesus Christ in his trial. Started with Annas, then went to Caiaphas. Now it's 5 or 6 a.m. He's before Pilate. Pilate's going to hear that he's from Galilee. He's going to send him to Herod, who's the tetrarch over Galilee. He's going to come back from Herod, and Pilate will interview him again, and then he'll crucify him. Uh, the pressure of this angry mob of Jews. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word to this end, that we love Jesus of Nazareth and what he did for us that night. Amen. The determinant God on one side, us sinful wretches on the other. He suffered the abuse of those monsters for our sins. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we are healed. What a blessing. Amen. What a glorious Savior and King we have. Amen.